Investors Chronicle. Hello everyone and welcome back to the IC interviews. Uh, I'm Dave Baxter, I'm the funds editor on Investors Chronicle. Uh, there has been a bit of a hiatus with the, the IC interviews episodes given uh, perhaps just how eventful times have been and uh, lots of things going on at the IC. But hopefully we are back uh, with a bang. Uh, we have a very interesting guest with us uh, today, um, kind of looking at a sector which is perhaps more, looks more esoteric to some investors, but has proved very popular in recent years for good reason. Um, so stay with me, I have uh, Richard Crawford. Richard is an uh, investment manager on the Renewables Infrastructure Group. Um, as I mentioned, perhaps less familiar to some than uh, the likes of kind of shares and equity funds, but it's one of the kind of stalwarts of a sector that has proved enormously popular in recent years. Um, even last year, uh, amidst a very kind of mar- volatile market, uh, such trusts managed to raise a lot of money and appeal because of their inflation linkage, because of the uh, high les- levels of income they generate, and because in theory they should be uh, less exposed to, I suppose, the kind of ups and downs of markets and um, economies. Uh, so Richard, thank you very much for, for joining us today. I, I think perhaps um, just very briefly for, for people who don't know um, TRIG, as, as it's called, um, it, it might be good just to very briefly kind of outline you know, what you invest in and, and the mixture of kind of different assets that you guys tend to, to focus on. Yeah, and hello, David, and, and hello, everybody. Uh, so I'm uh, Richard Crawford. I work for fund manager Infrared, and Infrared is the investment manager of the investment company Trig, which David was referring to. So Trig, mm. uh, the Renewables Infrastructure Group, it's a FTSE 250 company. Um, we launched the company 10 years ago. Then it had a market capitalization of about £300 million. Now it's up to in excess of £3 billion. And that growth has, has been achieved uh, to, to a large extent by uh, very supportive shareholders um, uh, investing more money as we found good opportunities within the renewables infrastructure sector to invest in. Um, as well as uh, growth in the the, the underlying value uh, as well. And um, we invest in what we call renewables infrastructure. By that, we mean wind farms, uh, solar parks. More recently, we've been adding battery storage as well. So these are all um, infrastructure which is absolutely fundamental for what we call the energy transition as we are decarbonizing um, the the power production as part of the overall uh, energy transition. Mm. And we invest in um, European countries as well as in the UK. We have about 60% of the portfolio in the UK and about 40% of the portfolio in Europe. And obviously for, for, for both of those areas, this decarbonisation gender is very important. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, very interesting kind of, uh, I suppose, Secular growth investment theme, um, and very uh, it's been very topical as I alluded to in in the last year or so. Um, you know, most assets have kind of struggled in 2022, and um, people financially have struggled because of huge kind of um, upward shifts in energy prices. Um, but the the renewables trust have kind of 
benefited from that to an extent. Um, and I suppose to, to kind of um, turn to Trig itself, um, you guys have tended to, at least on a headline basis, have a, a, a pretty big exposure to wholesale power prices relative to your peers. Um, how is that kind of shaping up now? I mean, have you um, attempted to kind of like hedge things out more? Um, and is that something you're kind of concerned about given, you know, in, in recent months, at least we've seen a slump in prices. So that could turn from a sort of um, a benefit into uh, more of a, a disadvantage. So I would, um, I'd say power prices are particularly high now. Mm. We know this, of course, from our own electricity bills. And this has been driven up by the shortage of gas coming into Europe uh, with LNG ships taking over from the cheaper piped Russian gas. Um, but we also have to remember that um, this was not the situation as recently as the COVID lockdown when where prices were, were much lower. And David, you, you, you referenced a slump. I, I, I certainly wouldn't call it that. I, I would say prices have become a bit more tolerable uh, for, for uh, mm. users. Um, we seem to have been spared to colder winter. Um, Touchwood, that continues, and our gas stocks have lasted. But we're still, uh, you know, prices round about £100 per megawatt hour, which is still historically high. And the underlying pressures on the system, I think, remain. So we're seeing, we look at forward prices for the next few winters, we're, we're seeing prices in, in, in the region of, of double that. So it's, it's a difficult um, uh, one at the moment um, to predict the level of prices because there is an awful lot of volatility in it. So what we do within trade is we very firm believes is in maintaining a mix of our revenue types. And we have both fixed revenues uh, as well as variable revenues. And, and a great advantage of fixed revenues, and these are, are to a large extent the government support mechanisms, the CFDs, the feed-in tariffs, mm. the, the, the ROP subsidies that you will hear of in this sector. Um, they are actually the majority of our income. So some 60 to 65% of our income we expect over the next 10 years comes from that area and this gives us strong visibility of revenues these can be forward uh, go go out for for as much as 15 years and also the inflation protection because these generally speaking are indexed and then we'll also sell power into the wholesale market now sometimes we will pre-sell forward maybe a season maybe a year or so but relatively short periods versus um, the government support mechanisms as I say 15 years plus and that's about 35 to 40 percent of our revenues and what you'll hear me talk about quite a lot I suspect in this podcast is mm. the importance of diversification with uh, within an investment portfolio and and this is one aspect of our diversification ha ha having a, a mix of, of revenues yes yeah 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 diversification always a good mantra in investments and uh, yeah, interesting to see how you can achieve it in this space as well. Um, but sticking for now with um, the, I suppose, some of the kind of more topical developments in this space, um, obviously a big thing that sort of come through has been the uh, the windfall tax. Um, I mean, how would, how would that kind of uh, affect the, the portfolio? Uh, I mean, with, you know, maybe you say it's kind of more of a moderate thing, but with prices falling, Perhaps in a strange way, that is um, windfall tax is a positive thing. If you stand out to lose less because you will earn less and pay less tax and excess profits, um, what would the impact be for you? Yeah, so um, we're not 
obviously hugely happy with the, the, the way the windfall tax has mm. come in. Um, and we do feel that it has been um, hitting the sector uh, rather too harshly and creating mm. some imbalance in the in the risk profile, but fully um, supportive of the fact that the government has to, at a time like this, um, support uh, prices and has to to get the revenue uh, to uh, achieve that as as prices ha have been. Um, during 2022, uh, extremely high. Mm. Um, and, and if we look on the brighter side from the investors' point of view in this sector of the windfall tax, of course now um, our forecasts on which our NAVs are, are produced um, are much less sensitive to the level of uh, uh, power prices that we assume um, due, 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 due to the nature of the way the, the, the windfall tax works, uh, t t taking... Um, uh, the lion's share of the revenues above a certain level. Mm. And um, Trig and, and, and others in the sector have announced NAVs following the announcement of the, the windfall tax in the UK, and it, it, there's been some, some similar moves in, in Europe as well. So, so those NAVs should fully reflect um, the, 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 the tax and also, as I say, have now less exposure to, to variations in power prices going forward. Mm, mm, yeah. Yeah, so there is some kind of visibility on that, on the impact. Um, and uh, turning to kind of, I suppose, another uh, development, um, what do you think about the sort of um, the, the government plans to uh, de-link electricity prices from, uh, from gas prices? Uh, I suppose the kind of the link has actually been a, a boost for renewables, but... Um, I can imagine there are also plenty of uh, advocates for that kind of delinking approach. Yes, and I would put ourselves amongst them. Um, mm. The 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 current situation, um, where power is priced by the marginal generator's cost, uh, breaks down when we have a lot of renewables on the system, and and it looks wrong when the price of a renewable energy is being set with reference to gas and carbon, which is the consequence mm. of, the, of the current mechanism, as these are not input costs for renewables. Uh, and we can all see this. So a, a transition to a better long-term solution seems very, very sensible to us. Now, we have this mechanism, which is um, called the CFDs, a contract for difference, which we're in the renewables mm. context, uh, we're, we're referencing a, a UK government support mechanism. It's used a lot for offshore wind, and it provides both the generator and the consumer with price certainty. And it's at a level that's judged to be affordable by the government and to provide an appropriate turn to the investors who, who bid for the, for the CFD prior to, to building the wind farm. So it's worked very well. It's brought in a lot of new investors. And currently, because the CFD strike prices are well beneath current power prices, the, the offshore wind farms are paying the government, reducing the cost to be borne by the consumer, which is exactly what we want when prices are high. And when wholesale prices are low, the, the reverse happens. So it works for the investor as well. So this uh, suggestion, um, which has been worked up by the government, 
um, is that perhaps we will bring in this CFD mechanism for existing uh, wind farms which are selling the power in, in into the market. So these are often the older rock projects. Uh, and this, to, to, to our mind, makes a lot of sense, um, provides uh, certainty both for, for the investor and also for the consumer and, and will avoid this position where prices can, can peak hugely and be unaffordable for the consumer. And effectively, the government has had to step in to, to, to help mm. there. Um, but likewise, if uh, when there are periods where prices are very low, we go back to the lockdown and in COVID is an mm. example of this, yeah. the investor gets some protection as well. So so it, it works from from both sides. So so we, we, we would we'd be supporters of that. And interestingly, there are similar things being considered in, in Europe, where again, you've got renewables being more and more um, a higher percentage of the generation mix. Yeah, yeah. I suppose that's uh, maybe that brings us on to kind of uh, you were talking earlier about the kind of mix of exposures, and that does include uh, different geographies. You know, you still have quite a big um, UK focus, but have uh, I suppose expanded out into into Europe. Um, how much do I mean? I suppose you're kind of working across a, a massive different sort of regulatory approaches. I mean, at, at the minute, are there any kind of geographies that are, are particularly kind of um, standing out? Any areas where you could see yourself moving into more compared with your current sort of allocations? So uh, we we look for and wish to maintain the, the good diversification we have within the mm. portfolio. So just a little bit about that to start with. We've got, um, we're in the, the three different um Technologies, wind, solar, and 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 now increasingly in in the battery storage. Mm. Um, we have a wide geography. We have about forty percent of the portfolio in the UK. Sorry, sixty percent in the UK and about forty percent in Europe and and the bigger countries in Europe that we're in are France, Germany, Sweden, and Spain. And we also careful not to allow any individual asset to dominate the portfolio. So our largest asset typically will be ten percent of the portfolio or less. And all of this investment is in established technologies that we we consider will operate reliable and and in good 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 quality country counterparts. Mm. Um, so the advantages of all this diversification is really about managing the weather, managing power price risks, managing regulatory risks because investments in the energy sector are always exposed to changes in the regulations, uh, and obviously by being across different technologies and jurisdictions helps this. And you manage your project specific risks by having this spread of assets. I think if we look at the investments we made in 2022, it's very illustrative of our focus and, and the areas that we like. So we we invested in Onzi One, which is a a, a very large offshore wind farm off Hull. Um, we also invested in uh, Mercure, which is in the German uh, North Sea. Both of those give us good visibility on subsidized revenues. Um, we completed construction of a, a onshore wind farm in France uh, and another in Sweden. Um, the French one subsidized, Swedish one unsubsidized. And we also built out a large solar project in in uh, Spain near Cadiz, uh, and that is uh, also a merchant project. So you can see with those additions, the way that we're adding and maintaining um, that diversification within the portfolio. And I, I would say that, that, um, the, the, the Nordic market uh, is good, the German market for the offshore wind and the Iberian market uh, for the solar are all, all strong markets for us. Mm. Um, We've also um, still do do very much like the UK, but the, 
the UK has had some challenges, it's fair to say, in the last 12 months. Um, in particular, obviously, there was the, the, the guilt blowout in September, but that, yeah. that's now come back come back somewhat into control. We're seeing, what, about, about a half a percent to a percent differences between between the interest rates of a 10-year guilt in the UK and, and France and Germany, respectively. So it's a sort of back map, perhaps a little bit closer to, to, to normal differentials. And we seem to have more, more stability, long, long, long may that continue in the UK. Um, and so I suppose in terms of the portfolio, we continue with those geographies. Uh, I mentioned battery storage. We are looking to bring more what we call flexible capacity into the portfolio. Mm. And so we're developing some of these assets in the UK. And this is very much complementary to the generation that you get from renewables. So it adds stability to the grid. And it helps renewables, which of course are intermittent generation, better match to 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 the demand for electricity. So that we see very complementary and and additive to to the kind of um, risk profile we're trying to create and diversification we're trying to create within our portfolio. Yeah, it's it's interesting that point because there is you know grid capacity seems to be such a uh, topical issue, and there seems to be kind of more and more demand for those those kind of assets. I suppose. Uh, something interesting to highlight is you mentioned uh, risk profile and you do, I suppose you try to sort of manage things via diversification, but um, to what extent now, I mean, there's obviously there's been a huge amount of money going into uh, renewables in, in recent years. And, um, you know, perhaps you could argue that you, you need to take more risk in some areas to get kind of achieve more interesting yields and that kind of thing. Um and and the trust has uh, upped its limit, for example, on how much it can put into assets under construction. Uh, you're focusing on some of those newer technologies. Um, does the trust need to effectively sort of take on more risk now in order to generate the same returns? Or is that a balance that is kind of um, possible to strike? Yeah, so it's certainly not uh, our intention to be taking on more risk other than when we see the returns very very mm. much uh, rewarding that that risk and I, and i i think what we've got is you know, from when we started renewables were fairly still fairly new in the eyes of investors still very much getting to terms with them uh, for example at that time we didn't invest in offshore wind because we considered that to be a relatively newer application of the, the wind farms and some more risks involved in that. Um, we then, about halfway through the life of the, of the trust so far, about five years ago, we we expanded the investment remit to include um, uh, offshore wind. And that's because there was much more history, much more experience, much greater resources and knowledge available for the for the building and 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 the um, operating and maintenance of these offshore wind farms. So I didn't really see that as an increase in the risk exposure. I saw it as now we have better understanding of that area and therefore we can include it within the risk profile which our investors are expecting from Trig. And I think the same applies to battery storage. And um, we did our first battery storage asset investment some years ago. We've been seeing how that's going. We then uh, uh, as we saw the, the relevance of the sector, its importance and the opportunity from the sector, we've now gone to, got looked to expand that more. And indeed, we, we, we expanded, our again, our investment policy mm. to give us more, more scope to do things outside of wind and solar for that reason. So I don't really see it as being uh, increasing the risk profile. 
Um, the other thing to remember on the construction projects is that um, the, the managers to this, so I've mentioned Infrared. Infrared is the investment manager. And we also have a specialist operations manager, Rares Renewable Energy Systems. And both of us have uh, a lot of experience of investing in um, uh, uh, construction projects and, and doing development projects. And in particular, Rares um, have, have built a lot of this um, themselves. So uh, we've got a lot of experience to draw on as well, uh, which, which helps manage those risks, of course. Mm. Mm. How has I mean I mentioned the kind of flood of money into the into the space. Um, I suppose there's now it seems there's more money looking for kind of projects. You know how does that affect your kind of uh, your due diligence? I mean, are you I guess are you having to contend with kind of valuations being higher than what they used to be when perhaps um, renewable infrastructure was a little bit less established? I think that has been a feature and. As investors have got more comfortable with renewables and they, they've seen the scale of it and the importance of it and the support that it gets from governments, um, people have uh, been coming more into the, the sector and, and, and returns uh, ha have dropped over that 10-year period. And indeed, it's, it's partly the, the, the reason for the increase in values that we've seen in the sector. But the due diligence remains very, very similar. It's, it's um, a, lot of, a, a lot of due diligence takes place, technical due diligence, um, even, even when they're, they're assets that we're very familiar with. There's still a lot of project-specific due diligence that we do before, before we'll invest. And, and of course, um, the, the legal due diligence as well. And um, estimating energy yield, um, a lot of experience there, but nevertheless, it's an area of, of, of a lot of due diligence, just how much energy yield will we get out of uh, mm. any given site, uh, and also um, uh, the power prices to assume where we're not um, getting the subsidy, but we're selling selling the power into the market. Um, so, so, so that work hasn't reduced, but it, it's, it's, it's always been there. Um, I think although there are more investors in the sector, there are also a, a lot more investment opportunities. And I think we're going to see that continue because one of the effects of uh, the situation uh, between Russia and Ukraine and, and moving away from the Russian gas is, of course, a further acceleration in renewables. I mean, it was, it was needed anyway because of the decarbonisation journey that we're on. And renewables, of course, is such a, a, a central uh, pillar of that. But now, of course, not, not only from the point of view of decarbonisation, but from the point of view of cost effectiveness and security of supply. So when you've got very, very strong um, fundamental need for the sector, then I think that helps give investors comfort that even though you're always exposed in the electricity sector to regulatory risk, that, that, that the, 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 the need for the, for the sector is such that, that, that the changes to the regulations um, should be fair to the investors, which are, which are needed, uh, as I say, really in increasing, increasing numbers. Mm, yeah, yeah. And it, it's interesting, you, you mentioned earlier, you're talking about uh, battery kind of storage and you were talking generally about i suppose um subsectors and technologies and so on almost maturing to an extent that you're more kind of comfortable um investing um are there any kind of areas whether it's technologies for example that you are kind of currently uh keeping an eye on i mean as the as this investment trust sector expands we're seeing more and more kind of very specialized offerings and I suppose you're just seeing more ways to kind of 
play that um, renewables theme? So, so the, the fundamentals for us, the, the technology, we, we want it to, to be tried and tested. So we're not mm. looking to be pioneers in, in trying out new technologies. Um, I mean, I'm trying to, try to think of an example. A floating offshore wind would be an example. We'd want to see that working and demonstrated before we invested in it. I think is a, is, a, is an example of that. So, so that is is sort of fundamental to us. And then we need visibility of the the revenue and the cost base. But in particular, the revenue with some of these newer technologies. These are the challenges. If we take something like hydrogen, hydrogen we hear a lot of. It, hydrogen is necessary if you're going to get to um, net zero because there are certain industrial processes which are very difficult to decarbonize without it. But it's expensive. And at the moment, there's no, in our view, clear visibility on the, the revenues, um, the, the stability of the revenues that we would need for a, for a, a low-risk secondary investor such as Trig to get involved. So I, I, I see whilst these are things that we... We are aware of, and of course, they're of interest to us. Um, they are are probably going to become part of the the decarbonisation solution. Trig is not going to be a pioneer in in going into things before they've been established, and we've got really comfortable technology. and And in particular, as I say, where that revenue line is is going to come from. What is the offtake um, for, for for these technologies? I mean, I think there are uh, huge investment is needed. Uh, it's not just in renewables. I mean, the whole area of the grid stability and bringing in these these other technologies um, are going to be uh, really important as we go through the sort of the second half of the de decarbonisation. If you think about it, we've done sort of 20 mm. or so years um, so far, and we're trying to get to zero by 2050, where the second half is 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 certainly going to be the, the more difficult one. So at the moment, I think we are very well um, placed just with our of wind farms, solar parks, and, and the battery storage. Um, I think other areas of energy storage um, are certainly of interest. We like flexible generation. Hydroelectric plants might be an example of that. But some of the other things which are more difficult to see uh, are not as proven on the technology or the revenues are, are something that would, would, would be some time before we'd look at. Mm, interesting. Um, uh, turning to a slightly different um, issue, uh, an interesting. Um, detail I noticed from one of your sets of kind of interim reports was talking about this idea that um, Trig might kind of have to, or already is, already is, I suppose, kind of taking more minority stakes in um, projects, which I assume is just kind of um, a result of, you know, developments in the market, perhaps, and that, that flood of money we, we discussed. Um, but is, is that still a kind of development that's ongoing? And, you know, what does that what implications does that have in terms of your your investment? I, I think when you sometimes we will take minority stakes in projects. It's really a function of the size of some of the projects. Mm. So you've got the offshore wind farms now are very large. The Hornsey One investment we made in excess of a gigawatt, um, and we we always want to make our our investments. Um, fit the portfolio, and you don't want to become overweight in any any one investment. Um, so I, I expect we're going to see a range of shareholdings. There'll be some minorities. There'll be, be, be many at a hundred percent as well. Um, and um, the what's important um, for us 
is that we are an active asset manager. So the governance rights, um, sit on the board, um, the ability to shape decisions and develop the business plans. Now, often we're working with very experienced people on these larger projects, and, and that's a great meeting of minds and thinking about how, how, how best, what, are, what is the best way that we can maximize um, the, the regeneration from our assets and the life from our assets. So, so we we are we are very comfortable taking 100%, but equally we are comfortable with with partnering with um, experienced and, and good partners. And, and I see both um, happening going forward. Mm-hmm. And how is um, uh, to use a, I suppose complicated jargon, but how how is the uh, kind of investment pipeline looking at the minute? I mean, is there much? Of interest available in the market, um, I suppose as we discussed, maybe the the valuation kind of um, there's a, a valuation challenge, and perhaps more so on the back of uh, what we've seen with with energy prices in the last year or so. First thing is lots of opportunities in the sector, and developers and early funders look for construction capital or to recycle their own investments, uh, and in fact, I. I expect we will see an acceleration in renewables development. As I was saying, governments see renewables so strongly as as the solution to to getting away from from fossil fuels. And and I see that only accelerating. So a lot of of opportunity um, within the sector, and that's borne out in in the pipeline at at any one time. Um, And I think the fundamentals remain um, keen interest from investors for exposure to renewables mm. and, and matched with uh, the investment opportunity. Yeah. yeah. And would we, I mean, um, perhaps we'll see kind of, uh, so far this year, we've seen uh, perhaps a tentative return to investment trusts kind of raising money. And some of the, uh, some infrastructure names have at least sort of announced um, plans to do things like share placings um i mean are, are there enough kind of opportunities on the line that perhaps trig investors might expect that again expect a, an opportunity to kind of get in slightly cheaper than the um the current valuation i i can't uh, comment on that but I, I i would observe that we have recently increased our revolving mm. uh, credit facility um so we've we've taken out a new facility of 750 million pounds that's up from 600 million pounds three year commitment so we have plenty of headroom uh and of course we use that um for for acquisitions and provide a funding source for our construction activities um along with the reinvestment of our internally generated cash flows um so uh, and this increase really reflects the, you know basically the increased construction activity we have as 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 a company grows yeah yeah. And um, otherwise, I mean, you mentioned the uh, kind of spike in um, guilt yields last year was a, was a challenge for the sector. But are there any kind of um, major challenges that you are kind of on the lookout for this year or just possible headwinds that you have on your minds? I think the current environment is difficult, mm-hmm. difficult for all investors across all asset classes. Um, obviously, you, you, Ukraine, we've got a, a lot of inflation, uh, increasing interest rates, weak economic outlook. Um, so I think even in that, in that circumstance, the retention of capital value is a challenge. 
Uh, I don't think renewables is immune from this, these macroeconomic challenges, but I do think we're well placed. So I, we've got, we are, we are defensive against inflation. Um, our exposure to power prices is a significant plus in this market. Uh, and we've had a historically low beta, something you observed uh, 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 earlier uh, compared mm. to the wider equities market. Um, so I think from a macroeconomic perspective, we're, we're well placed. I think if we look to the sector itself, uh, the, the challenge, but also the opportunity for the sector is probably agreeing the long-term pricing mechanisms for electricity, which you, you asked about earlier. Um, and we have to come to, to a solution that provide customers and investors with greater price certainty. So I think that actually ends up being a positive, but we have to go through the through through, through the, agree, the agreement uh, of that. Um, but in, most importantly, I think the fundamental is the sector is highly relevant and, and in fact essential for, for for the energy transition as we've been discussing, mm. you know, decarbonisation always, but now more more than ever, it's cost-effective and it's providing energy security. Okay, well, um, lots to think about there. Uh, very, very interesting points, but uh, I'm afraid that is all we have time for. Um, so I'd just like to thank Richard for, for joining us today. And uh, thank you for listening. Um, stay tuned for more IC interviews and take care.